Hello and welcome to a special Halloween episode of the Film Pulse podcast. And we have something very special lined up for you this year. We're going to be crossing over onto our other show, Saved by the 90s, to bring you a two-part show focusing on 90s Japanese horror. My name is Adam Patterson, and today I'm joined by my partner in crime on Saved by the 90s, Ken Bakley. Hey, Ken. Hello. Given the subject matter we're covering on this show, we thought it prudent to bring on another guest, the host of the Ega Night podcast and the guy who covers just about everything Asian cinema related on Film Pulse, Chris Luciantonio. Welcome, Chris. Thank you so much for having me. I can almost guarantee you won't regret this. <laughs> That's all well, we ask. After listening to your podcast, I was like, you know what? He, he's going to be a good guest. He has a good podcast voice. He knows <laughs> he knows how to do a podcast correctly. You know, we've had I've had guests in the past where it's like their first time doing a podcast and they struggle with it a little bit. But I think I think you're going to be good to go on this. He's talking about me. Oh, <laughs> I wasn't. But okay. I know. I know but and just in case I wasn't I actually wasn't even thinking of anybody specific. I'll, I'll say my last last. I think it was last year's Halloween special on the the 90s podcast when we had my friend Adam, who's like this big horror guy. I think he struggled a little bit. That was the first time he ever did a podcast. I'll call him out because he's a friend. <laughs> I, uh, well, when we started the the, the uh, Saved by the 90s podcast, that was what I'd done like three episodes of the, the weekly podcast. So mm -hmm. I became a, a podcast co-host on my fourth episode of a podcast ever. Yeah, but you did good on those all those other ones because those were like big episodes that you were on. Those weren't like little rinky-dink. Those were big specials when we talked about a lot of movies. Didn't on the first one we talk about like eight movies in one yeah. <laughs> yeah. week? <laughs> yeah. It was long, I remember. Mm -hmm. uh, now you may be asking yourself, hey, wait a minute, where's Kevin? This show just isn't the same without Kevin's sultry voice accompanying that horrific audio that he has. But Very true. sadly, despite being instrumental in planning this special, he was... And he was the one who came up with the theme, actually. He wasn't able to join us, but I'm sure that he's with us all in spirit. I hope he's listening to this, by the way. That makes it sound like he's passed away. I know. Well, he, he's still alive. He's, well, he's, he's, he's still alive he's and in good health, I think. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Joining us today is Ghost Kevin. <laughs> the ghost of Kevin Rakestraw. So the plan is we're going to cover four titles in this episode that... And then uh, that'll release on the main weekly feed, which should publish on Monday, the 28th of October. And then the second part will cover four more movies that will be released on the Say by the 90s feed and come out on Halloween, October 31st. Uh, I want to thank everyone for joining us today on this journey into Japanese horror. Remember to leave a comment on your podcast provider of choice. Give us a nice review if you could. And without further ado, I think we can jump into our first review, which is a doozy. We're talking about 964 Pinocchio. We will talk about this and no other movie. <laughs> I can't believe we're starting here. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is the one. We're starting with this one. This is also called Screams of Blasphemy, according to IMDb. <laughs> <laughs> which is a title that doesn't really, that, that even that title does not capture what happens in this movie exactly it's directed by shozin fukui i'll probably i'm just gonna lay it out there now i'll probably mispronounce a lot of names 
during during this special, so I apologize in advance. Chris, maybe you can chime in with correct pronunciations if you know them. I mean, I'll try. I'm only seven episodes deep into my own podcast, and I still get regularly corrected, both in comments and by my co-host who actually speaks the language. So, Yeah, it's, it's tough, but I'm going to try my best. I have a, a synopsis here. Pinocchio 964, lobotomized cyborg sex slave, is thrown out onto the street by his owners because of his inability to maintain an erection. He is befriended by a criminally insane, memory-wiped homeless girl. Meanwhile, I'm not making this up, this is the real synopsis. Meanwhile, the corporate entity who manufactured and sold him plots to kill him because of his malfunction. Now, Chris... And then things get weird. <laughs> yeah. uh, Chris, since you're our guest, why don't you get us started? What did you think of 964 Pinocchio? Oh, thank you so much for giving me the honors here. <laughs> uh, the question really is where to begin. I'm normally quite the fan of most uh, what could be considered Japanese cyberpunk, which this is firmly embedded in that aesthetic and genre. And I found this entire thing incredibly grating. It's so hard both to discern what is happening, what it means, and where it's going. And... It just really pushes my buttons in terms of my gag reflex and my sensitivity to moving images and how fast they can come at you. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I think there's something here in terms of like of a visceral kind of reaction, but I don't think I want it. And with this subject matter, I just felt like Chosen was just having a little bit of fun with us. And I, I don't know. Please, someone take this away from my... Some I, summation I, here because I don't I, know where I, to go. I, I want to say words about this, <laughs> and I don't know which words to use. Uh, gross, I think, would be good a, a good a good starting point. It's a very gross movie. There's a lot. So an ending point. Lot, yeah, there's a lot of fluids happening in this in this uh, movie. I think you you bring up some some pretty salient points, Chris. Uh, it it isn't extremely grating. I mean, even from from like the first moments of this movie, I found myself being very annoyed by everything that was happening on screen. Now I'm, I guess I'm a, maybe a casual fan of the whole, uh, the Japanese cyberpunk trend that was happening. I'm not a huge fan of, uh, Tetsuo the Iron Man, which is probably one of the most notable in that line, if I'm not mistaken, or Akira, I guess you could even lump akira into that but both are canonical texts when what we what we consider a japanese cyberpunk absolutely i i really like akira but uh i'm not super well versed into that that time period if this movie is any indication of what the other films and media in this genre are like i i don't think i want any part of it because uh this is just it's too much it's, it's very discordant yeah it, very it, uh, the you know it's like, hard to discern what's happening. So like, like the synopsis says, you have this uh the cyborg person, and when he meets up with the the young woman who loses her, I guess she lost her memory too, uh, and she's trying to teach him his name, and she just keeps saying Pinocchio over uh, and over again uh, for like fifteen minutes straight. I wanted to kill myself. And. <laughs> And Pinocchio's over there moaning and groaning. Yeah. Just filling out the soundtrack with nothing but that. 
Yeah. All he does is just makes these like guttural noises. I mean, (laughs) mood. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) But I guess this film is set in the future. I don't know exactly when the future, but that's a 2019 mood right there. (laughs) Yeah. Just Just laying around and moaning and groaning. (laughs) Just rolling around in our own garbage, our own filth. Yeah. Yeah, what like when whenever someone's rolling around in filth in this movie, which is about every third scene, I I just wanted to like take a screenshot of it and like caption it when you read new the news the first thing in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to I I should have made a a gif out of that vomiting scene when she yes that, <laughs> that that's, the... that's what I meant. <laughs> oh, don't you dare! <laughs> no, I wouldn't. That, that 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 scene horrified me. When you keep reading the news throughout the day. That was my breaking point with this film when I realized it's not going to get better. Like its points aren't, its thematic points aren't going to get more cogent. It's always going to be this dirge of noise and action just afflicted onto you. Like when it's, it's a very kind of like that scene where she eats the vomit in the train station. Like I'm reminded of possession and how much better it did that kind of breakdown in public scene. And this can be done artfully and, Right. 964 Pinocchio isn't doing that. Yeah, I mean, I, I even have in my notes here uh, that there was a poorly done possession-esque sequence. <laughs> okay, I wasn't the only one. Yeah, involving the, the vomiting scene when she, it's like a mountain of vomit and she's like rolling, like playing in the mountain of, looks like scrambled eggs. It was really, oof. I was trying to, I kept watching that trying to determine what that was. It looked like, like scrambled like, eggs to me. What kind of food they used for that. <laughs> I don't know, but it was horrible. It was all. It was all just yeah, it's, really it's difficult to watch. It's a lot of things that you're not sure what it's building towards. Like it's putting you through a lot, and there's but there's no theme, right? So you you have this like I mean the the plot is is just so thin. There's just nothing there. I mean he's like the the woman I guess is trying to sort of assimilate him into society I guess, but she's not really assimilated into society either. And then you have like the company who made him and they're trying to get him back or kill him or do something. And it just, none of it made much sense. It was, it was very surreal, very abstract. I thought that, I mean, one good thing that I'll say about it is I like the use of the fisheye, which was a lot, like a lot of fisheye going on in this. And I thought a lot of it looked kind of cool. Like the scene in the, they were in like a supermarket, like running around in the supermarket. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I so I thought that some of the cinematography did look pretty, pretty cool. A lot of it, I was just sort of baffled by though. Like where the hell does this woman live? Like it looks like she lives in some kind of nest that's filled with trash. I can't wrap my head around like what she uses as a dwelling. Uh, it's like a sewer pipe that's abandoned and she just makes do with what she has. Uh, she's living her best life. I guess, I guess that's what it is. <laughs> that's all we can any, that's all we can ask of anyone. Really. Just, just drawing out maps, trying to reclaim her memory. And then there's like, n- not only do we have the incessant groaning of Pinocchio and her trying to teach him his stupid name, we also have that there's like three songs in this and they just it's like 30 second loops. Not even that. They're like 15 second loops. And they just it's like they took a loop from Garage Band and just stuck it in there. And it's just looping nonstop over and over again. I mean, I, I feel like it's 
a deliberately confrontational movie that that like challenges you to be entertained by it. Yeah, I could agree with that because I think it's also built into how it was shot because a lot of the scenes that take place on the streets, I don't know if I was the only one that picked up on this, but they clearly don't have any permits or notice to be there. Oh, definitely not. They are just in public screaming and doing what they will with this script. And the poor Japanese public, uh, I'm guessing this takes place in Tokyo, are just looking on, confused, just like the audience. Yeah, I uh, I picked up on that too. It definitely looked like this was shot guerrilla style because a lot of the people <laughs> look genuinely horrified at whatever's happening on the streets yeah, here. Yeah, you'll notice that it seems like whenever they're running, uh, whenever that's happening, the camera never really stops moving. Nope. Like they didn't have time to lock it down. The other thing I have written down here is uh, cherry bowl of saliva. Oh. <laughs> What was Man. what was going on with that? <laughs> Just like added insult to injury, like because that was like a topper scene, really. That was like the last really disgusting point this film has for it, and it has no basis. It's not introduced. It's just there. Ken, what's your take on the cherry bowl of saliva? <laughs> this uh, this whole movie feels like uh. The, the, the line that uh, the thing that John Waters says where just intrinsically shocking someone isn't enough if that's all you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. That's my take on that. That's my take on everything. That's my take on the mountain of vomit. <laughs> Besides, of course, the mountain of vomit's uh, secret meme ability. <laughs> uh gotta work on that gotta work on that gif and, and it'll be looping so it'll be like yes coming out and then going back in then coming out mm-hmm. then going back in yeah when it goes back in like when it comes out that's when you uh <laughs> read the news the first thing in the morning and then when it goes back in that's when you keep reading the news throughout the day and, it, and everything just keeps getting worse but you keep looking at it again because you know the world is like a train wreck <laughs> we're all just <laughs> vomiting mountains and then eating it <laughs> yep we're uh, all just deprogrammed sex slaves moving through our lives trying to chart it out yep maybe this anyway have a great day great. everyone that's our show. <laughs> uh chris are you familiar at all with this director have you seen any of his other films because this is the only one of his that i've seen uh, I actually have seen his other film. Um, he only did two features. Uh, he's much more prominent in like art installations as well as short films. Surprisingly, he can't get a lot of financers down to make more of this. <laughs> uh, uh, his his other film, though, I think is much more commendable. It's uh, Rubber's Lover. I think it's Rubber's Love, actually, from later in his career. I think that was in the 2000s. Yeah, it's much more t- palatable than this. Because uh, there's much more budget attached to it, as well as it has a very evocative monochrome, just like Tetsuo the Iron Man did. So it has a lot more going to it. And its point, it's, it's kind of like, it's also about like deprogram or like brainwashed sex slaves and androids. So he, he's, he's a director with a very clear message he keeps bringing up. But I think it's much better than this. I, mm. I feel like you can extract more in terms of meaning out of that one than what you get from this mess now is that one uh, also a cyberpunk film or is that a, a different genre no very much cyberpunk in okay. fact uh both were collected in a dvd release that was like just japanese cyberpunk collection like his entire filmography uh, and i've always kind of wanted it 
but I never, I've never seen 964 Pinocchio before that. So now I don't want it anymore. I think that's also out of print that collection. That Absolutely. That it has to be. Uh, I believe that, that he also, I think he worked on Tetsuo of the Iron Man. I'm not sure in what capacity, but I'm pretty sure he was, ha- had some hand in that. He was, I would not be shocked at all. It's, Cyberpunk seems like a very tight collective. Anyway, uh, any final thoughts on 964 Pinocchio before we move on? I mean, I have thoughts. I just don't know how to turn them into words. Okay. And not just uh, facial reactions that wouldn't carry over audio. You need to, maybe you need to express yourself with like guttural mouth noises and that'll get your point across. We'll save that for another day. (laughs) All right. Next up, we have a film that was released in 1991 called Battle Girl Tokyo Crisis Wars. Uh, This is directed by Kazuo Kamizu. I have a synopsis here. When a meteor crashes into Tokyo Bay, a toxic cloud covers the city and a new alien virus causes the dead to walk and feast on the living. To make matters worse, punk gangs terrorize the city and the Japanese military suspiciously will not control the situation. It's up to Kiko, a one-woman army, to bring some order and save her home from the ghouls and gangs. Ken, we'll start this one off with you. What'd you think of Battle Girl? First of all, no movie that is only 73 minutes long can ever be truly bad. Amen. (laughs) I agree. Second of all, the flip side of that is if you're putting a lot in your movie, then 73 minutes can feel very rushed. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was just kind of hard. This is going to be a recurring theme for some of these movies. It was kind of hard to show what was going to figure out what was going on in here, but not to the extent that it was in the previous one, because it basically eventually kind of got into a rhythm where it felt like a controlled chaos almost. Not quite, but it got closer than 964 Pinocchio did. Overall, I was a little bit underwhelmed with this one. This just feels like it's just a super schlocky zombie movie. I, I was, ex- I guess I was kind of hoping for more like the, the whole like, battle armor thing i was kind of amped up for that like what's this suit gonna do and it's just like plastic it's just like a plastic covering on her that has like a laser (laughs) sight taped onto the arm like it doesn't really do much so overall i was a little bit meh on this and also my favorite line happened very early on in the movie which is a bit of a downer and it's when the news reporter guy was first covering the cloud the toxic cloud and he just goes it's a truly dangerous situation as his <laughs> camera guy's getting eaten <laughs> i i have i always have to appreciate a moment like that yeah chris what was your take on battle girl i think both of you uh nailed it down uh pretty quickly there uh like ken you're saying this is like a controlled t- type of chaos and adam astutely pointing out the poor craftsmanship in the actual battle suits. I think this film is immensely endearing because it is so it's it's so trying to be something much larger than it has the capabilities to do. It is stunted both by time because this was a video release as well as budget and whatever they could corral together to put this out on the market. And I just kind of find it all just so admirable. It's not great. Uh, all the seams are very much pr- 
present. Uh, all the action is very stilted. The editing is awkward to the point of incomprehensible. And it's all around stunted in its pacing, despite the fact that it has only like 70 minutes to work with or so. But I just found it all so like a try hard type uh, band together type film. It's it just kind of worked on me. I'm sure I'm the only one who could pull that kind of positivity out of it because outside of that, outside of the adorableness of the production values, there's not a lot here. Yeah. I was just a little bit let down with it overall. There is a copious amount of Uzi usage in this, which you got to appreciate any movie that uses a lot of Uzis and Mm -hmm. Uzis are everywhere in this movie. I think it was like a big thing in the eighties. Everybody in the eighties, everybody had Uzis and I guess it carried over a little bit into the early nineties as well. One thing that I liked was her visor thing that would pop down and it show her different things. And there was a, there was like a, a fence, like a laser grid fence at one point, And it just says death ray. It's just labeled, <laughs> labeled death ray on her visor. Like that's a category that was programmed into this visor to detect death rays. Accompanied by the cheapest techno sounds that they could muster together. I also love the scene when the, the guy who's like, he's like the antagonist. He's like a general or something. And I guess like he sort of, usurped her father and he's the one who's responsible for this these like zombies and he at one point he has this like cattle prod thing and he like zaps her with it and he's just like standing there zapping her non-stop and it's not doing anything because she has the battle armor on so he's zapping her and then he stops and he just goes anywho don't worry about your father <laughs> and then just walks away Truth, truly a moment cut from the same cloth of the a uh, very dangerous situation moment. Yeah. A lot of the dialogue in this. I mean, obviously, I don't know how good the translations were, but... I hope it was accurate, because if it was, that is actually very, yeah, a very lot, good writing. A lot of the subtitles were hilarious in this. I really want the translation to be true, because oh, that, absolutely. Means, that means uh, this film invented the term cosmoamphetamine. Oh, yeah. Which, which is just wonderful. <laughs> Yeah, they're all hopped up on the Cosmo amphetamine. <laughs> that's what that's what the zombies are on. And like, that's one is. What was going on with this guy's office? Like, she goes to see him in his office, and it's like it's like in some kind of basement, and there's like the lights are like moving around, and there's just water that's randomly dripping everywhere, and it's like, why would you want that as your office? Like, <laughs> I mean, this is an army base. Why, why is it like that? It doesn't make any sense to me. What also didn't make sense were the explosions in this movie. There's a lot of big action scenes. And there's a couple big explosions. And there's one scene when she somehow a grenade. I don't know if she throws a grenade back or just to- she has a grenade and tosses it. But it ends up going into a zombie's head and like caves his head in and gets stuck in his head. And it's a really funny scene. But then like they cut away and they show the explosion happen. And it's like 50 feet away from the zombie on the ground. And I'm like, what? And then at the end, you know, you have this big standoff with the the general guy and she shoves a grenade into his mouth and he's just standing around doing nothing. I guess she breaks his arms, but he's just standing there doing nothing. And then she runs away and then you see another explosion, which is again, 
nowhere even close to this guy. And it's just like on the ground exploding. Nothing makes sense. You, you gotta you gotta live in the chaos. I guess so. You gotta, I, you gotta give in to it. I, I guess I'm being a little too nitpicky with. Not that I particularly like this movie. I'm just saying may, maybe we would all have more fun if we just fully lived in the chaos. I think you're right. I, I think I should have embraced the campiness of this movie more than I did. Like the the fact that those grenades go off so far away from their intended targets makes me love this film even more. They. <laughs> They are trying, and by God, are they missing the mark at every level? But they're not stopping. Mm-hmm. I think you're. I think you have a point there. I think there's something to be said about the fact that you know this was written in a script, and they were like, "Okay, we we have like three dollars to do this. How are we going to make this thing work? Like, we can't show a person exploding. We don't have the effects budget for that. So let's just put like two squibs on the ground and blow it <laughs> up, and that'll be good enough. Like, we don't have a lead actress. We have a wrestler. So Let's use her as well as we can. Let's not make her talk much. <laughs> oh yeah, that that is that is true. I did I did like the sort of the team that she ends up with, like the the punk kids in the van. I don't know. There there's there's certain charms to this movie, but overall, I was like, eh, it's a time, <laughs> and it's a short one, seventy three minutes. Yeah, I mean. Thankfully, it's not like a slog to get through or anything like that. And, and because this was an early movie that, that sort of was of this style, I mean, I think that maybe it's possible that this was influential in a lot of the later movies that would come out, like Machine Girl and all of those other ones. I don't know. That's just speculation. It's it's a very clear blueprint that it's working off of. Uh, and you could see that's it's not exactly high concept and it's been recycled a lot since then in the genre of J-horror, but I just can't bring myself to hate this movie. But uh, can you make a great point? If it was longer, I would absolutely hate it. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Chris, are you a fan of uh, like mach- the, the, the J-horror films like Machine Girl or Tokyo Gore Police? Are you, are you into that, that style? Uh, I am to an extent. Uh, I do love those like splatter comedies where uh, it's all put into the effects and the grossness of it. Very much like 964 Pinocchio, but with more of a sense of humor and not a such a self-seriousness. But those films can also go too far in terms of like taste that I just find grating. Because yes, Machine Girl is a great time. Tokyo Gore Police is a great time. Zombie ass toilet of the dead. <laughs> I was just gonna bring that, that up. I was just you, gonna bring that one up. <laughs> it's a very important that title. <laughs> that that movie that movie is so we had Ryan watch that like a long time ago <laughs> on Ryan Watches a movie and I never saw it, so I watched it too, and I was just like, Oh my god, this is this is so bad. It's yep. like it's like a, a Japanese trauma movie, basically. It's a trauma movie mixed with that director's very clear fetishes that he, <laughs> yeah. he doesn't want to hide anymore. Yeah. Uh, all right. That is Battle Girl Tokyo. What is it? Battle Girl the Living Dead in Tokyo Bay or Battle Girl Tokyo Crisis Wars. Night of the Living Battle Girl Crisis <laughs> Night of the, War. Night of the Living Crisis War. Apocalypse. Apocalypse. Yes. Now. Judge, judgment. <laughs> the Irishman, a Netflix original. Uh, next next up, we have a film from 1995. This is called Eco Eco Azurak, Wizard of Darkness. These titles, man, they are mm, so good. 
This is directed by uh, Shimaku Sato. I have a synopsis here. Uh, Misa is an adorable high school girl who arrives at her new school when it is falling under an evil supernatural force. There's more to the synopsis, but I'll I'll leave it there. I, I guess I'll start this one off. Uh, I enjoyed this movie. I thought this was pretty fun. I typically like uh, J-Har movies that take place in high school. I don't know. For some reason, I just like most Japanese movies that take place in high school unless they're like really sappy kind of like romantic comedies or something. But I, I had a pretty good time with this one. It, it reminded me of something like um, Corpse Party or something like that, where you have this it's sort of it's not really a haunted school, but it feels like it. You basically have this, this sorceress that's taking taking over the school and is uh, sacrificing these high schoolers one by one. And uh, overall, I had a, a pretty good time with this one. Uh, Chris, what about you? Did you like Eco Eco Azarak? I think this is a salacious good time. Uh, much like you, Adam, I do love a J-horror set in a high school. And when you mix in messing with witchcraft that we don't quite understand, but we're going to do it anyway and reap the consequences of it, I'm all for it. I think this is... A very slick, lean film that gets right to the point. There's a lot of good deaths, a lot of strange uh, occult imagery that's pulled off quite well. And yeah, I was quite charmed with this one. Ken, what about you? Did you like Eco Eco Azarak? Oh yeah, I had a I had a good time with all the the pentagrams and the very strange deaths and the the chalkboard that acted as a body count. And mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> there's a chalkboard and. Uh, every time the number goes down, that many people are about to die. Actually, it, really, it was really funny to me because I was just thinking about, for absolutely no reason, uh, a recent masterpiece of cinema known as uh, Geostorm. And there's a truly great thing in Geostorm where the where speaking of strange built-in features of technology, the geo uh, the the titular Geostorm is built into the weather uh, machine with a timer, giant red digital readout timer that reads time to geostorm and i thought <laughs> why doesn't every movie have really weird countdowns in unexpected places and then i watched this and i saw that the body count on the chalkboard and i thought this is exactly what all movies should have <laughs> yeah i i like that and i liked the the effect like when it went down you could the how the the numbers changed i thought that looked pretty good for when when this movie came out and the movie begins with a a pretty sick death in which a woman gets her head crushed by an eye beam and so i think it starts uh, the movie starts off with with quite quite a shocking yeah, it really starts off at a at a level and then and then perhaps more horrifically i believe the next scene involves this teacher who's just groping all the female students as they enter the school grounds for no apparent reason he's just out in right there at the gate, just groping them up, just just touching them. Very, it lets you know, very upsetting. <laughs> it lets you know right away what kind of film this is, and I appreciate it for it. It, it didn't it didn't mess about. They, like you know what you're getting into with Eco Eco Azarek. Exactly, and then they uh, of course they uh, he gets his comeuppance. Uh, we'll we'll say that. I, I like how they they first just they just give him diarrhea. Like that's that's his punishment for. Uh, it's, it's sexually molesting the female students. So they just give him some diarrhea. Got to start somewhere. Yeah. Oh, and then he dies. So yeah, 
He didn't die from the diarrhea, it should be noted. The the person who is at the root of all of this was the one who ended up killing him and and the uh, uh Misa who's the the new the new girl who's I guess she's a witch. I mean they they kind of they say it at the end that she's a witch, but they don't really explicitly say that any any other time in the movie. It's much better explained in the uh, manga that this is based off of. Uh like her whole her whole deal is protecting these schools from th- this kind of magical energy that's getting out of control. Uh, but with this film, it's like, we can't start there. We got to smash ahead right away. They do. Yeah. They do allude to that in later on where they say like sh- she at the other schools that she was at, a bunch of people would get hurt or killed. So yeah, it, they do allude that, that there were, that she's been at this for a while, but, but also in the context of the movie, it doesn't really make sense. You're like, well, what happened in those other, other places? What's going on there? And she 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 just tells like her new boyfriend like uh you can't get close to me you'll get hurt and it's like why <laughs> like what, what's going on here <laughs> it's a it's a cinematic universe now <laughs> uh were there any other was this the only movie version of this no this had a whole like a uh, straight to video series that followed it I think it's like four in total oh it is a cinematic universe yeah. <laughs> yes yes it is there you go Ken you can. Get get caught up on your Eco Eco Azarak universe. The, the Eco Eco Azarak Wizard of Darkness <laughs> cinematic universe. The E A W D C U. Oh my god, I, uh, I I don't know. I might I might check out some of these other ones in the series now. Gonna check out the E A W D C U. Yeah, man. Yeah, I'm gonna dive nice. in. Take a deep dive mm-hmm. into it. So you so the it turns out and this is like I probably should have said this at the top these are movies from the 90s so they're going to get spoiled but it turns out that a teacher they think that it was a teacher behind all of this stuff there's a twist that happens at the at the very end when it turns out no no it wasn't the teacher it was like her friend from school which that didn't really make a lot of sense to me it felt like a twist that was just added in there for just the sake of having a twist but mm-hmm. but the up until the very, very end, you believe that it's the teacher who's behind all of the the shenanigans that are happening. And the teacher has this sexual relationship with a student, a clearly underage student. But I'm not sure where that what the point of that is either. Maybe I missed something. I think that's also in the manga. If I'm like, I've, I, I've not read it, but I'm just going to assume that it's there because I don't think these are the type of filmmakers just to throw in a needlessly gratuitous lesbian sex scene for no reason, right? Of course, of course not. not. Of course not. Of course they're, not. They're very, they're very uh, scrupulous. Yeah, exactly. So, so, yeah, I just don't feel like they really went anywhere with that. Like, I, I thought that that relationship was going to have some bearing on the plot, but it really doesn't seem to. And maybe that is explained more in the manga series. I thought the effects work was good. Did you guys like the the effects work? I I love I love that chalkboard. <laughs> I'm thinking about that chalkboard again. Yeah, it was a good stuff. You had it. It got pretty gory. It it wasn't over the top gory, but there was there was some stuff there. Like there were blood geysers. There were definitely blood geysers going on in this movie. Some decapitations. Well, gotta, gotta have some of those. I was kind of in this. First set of movies, I was hoping for more blood geysers, to be honest. Mm. I, f- I feel like we we're kind of missing out here on 
Maybe we'll have to try again. Yeah, the the blood geyser quotient is far too low yeah. for this for this first set of movies. Hopefully, we'll have some some, some blood geysers in the <laughs> the next few. Chris, what did you think of the the effects work? Did you find it to be notable, average, poor? I thought they were very like commendable. I thought uh, they did their job very well, and luckily, there's quite enough in there to string it the film along especially when we're in that kind of countdown mode where all the students are getting picked off two like highlight effects that i think are very interesting uh one of the unlucky students gets her head taken off by a window closing Mm -hmm. which i don't think i've ever seen outside of like silent comedy so that was interesting and the effect of i uh the friend uh mizuki Losing her face to Lucifer, I've never seen anything like that. Uh, I don't know how they map that kind of texture onto her face, but I thought it was really interesting. So I think there's enough here to really kind of to, to recommend or at least applaud them for their gore work. Yeah, and there's also a scene where it, towards the end, Misa, she like turns into, she like disintegrates like sand where she's mm-hmm. like slowly disintegrating and i thought that, that looked really good too i mean you you, you have again some... a, again a 2019 mood <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly I mean, you have this like 90s cg in here which is pretty rough around the edges but i thought that they did the best they could with it and i mean like normally when you're watching an asian film of this this era the cg is like years behind what they were doing in hollywood at the time but i thought that here it was pretty on par yeah yeah it's 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 pretty good stuff yeah i could absolutely agree with that also love another good uh good good short movie i think 83 minutes yeah yeah it was it was nice and breezy i thought that it really picked up the pace once they got trapped in the school like that's when that's when they really kicked it up a notch i thought Mm -hmm. everything uh, everything up until that point was fine but uh as soon as they got trapped in the school and started getting picked off one by one is that's that's when i really really, that's when it grabbed my attention fully Mm -hmm. uh any any final thoughts on eco eco azarak i love saying it i just love saying the title i love saying uh e-e-a uh w-d-c-u (laughs) <laughs> uh ken i know you love the uh chalkboard effect how much more would you love it if above the number it said count like a uh, time to eco eco azarek uh this would be my favorite movie of all time <laughs> oh man if they included that oh oh boy well, there's one thing i could have in this world <laughs> it would be that uh all right our final film for this Part one of the Halloween special is Parasite Eve from 1997. Uh, This is directed by Masayuki Uchiai. I have a synopsis here. Uh, Toshiaki is a biologist who is doing major research on mitochondria when his beautiful young wife is tragically involved in a car accident, which leaves her brain dead. In desperation, he steals her liver from her body in order to receive the mitochondria from it to resurrect his wife from the dead. I don't, I don't completely agree with that synopsis at all. He doesn't steal the liver. It was given to him. It's a big liver heist in this movie. It's And, and I'm not even sure. Liver. I mean, did, did he <laughs> want to resurrect his wife from the dead or just use her liver to further his research with the like mitochondria. Maybe he had a lot of feelings about it. 
<laughs> like I don't think he I don't think he was setting out to like regrow his wife. But then he thought, you know, as long as we're here. Chris, uh, what did you think of Parasite Eve? I think um with this collection of films that we reviewed for this show, the disparity in budget became most obvious with this one. This is <laughs> a real quote unquote real film compared to the other three. Uh there is a lot of there's a lot much more craft going on in terms of where money was allocated and how well it was used. There's extras who actually know they're in a movie. (laughs) Right. It's it's a rarity. And for that, I think it's, it's the most like solid of the watches, but I think it's the least in terms of memorability. Uh, This is like a very canonical text uh, in J-Horror. It's based on a very popular novel and was adapted into an extremely popular video game series. And I don't know about it. Um, the effects I feel weren't as endearing in as in Battlegirl or Eco Eco Azurek. Uh, they show their age much more than those two films, weirdly. And it's very hard to parse what is going on in this film. I think it's playing on a kind of anxiety and ignorance about biology in its audience, uh, because. I'm not sure the average person would know what a mitochondria is and think that this is an actual possibility. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's a the it, powerhouse of the cell. It's a right. film. It's all about the oppression. It's the oppression of the mitochondria. And, and it's, that's what it's about. Which is an alien species. Uh, we are led to believe. Did you know that we're filled with aliens? <laughs> <laughs> all of our cells come from other planets. Hi, I'm Marianne Williamson, and I'm running for president. Is this a Scientology text? Yes. <laughs> Written and directed by L. Ron Hubbard. I did read that uh, the the writer of the novel, Hideaki Sena, he, was, he worked in a lab. Like, he worked with mitochondria, and that's what gave him the inspiration for writing the novel. And because it, it was like, a part of his theory that they were like these living organisms and whatever, but I'm not a scientist. So yeah, a lot of the theories behind it, I was just like, all right, I'm just going to go with it. I want to say though, you know how I was saying that I liked that the last two movies were short. I didn't like that. This one wasn't. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. This, this is two hours. So this is exactly two hours, two hours, even. Yeah. Sometimes you really feel it. I, I do. It's funny because I I also saw the the jump in quality with this one over the other the others that we watched. I mean, it's just it's night and day that the the level of uh, quality that that this one had in comparison to those. But I did think it was interesting that I was kind of expecting more in the way of like effects, like special effects work and stuff, because I am familiar with uh, Parasite Eve video games and there's like all kinds of crazy monsters and stuff in the games and i was thinking i didn't think it'd be to that level but i thought it would be just more and for the most part it's not there's not a whole lot uh happening here as far as like big horror sequences or action sequences this it's pretty subdued and it was a little bit of a surprise yeah there's a lot of like um body horror attached to this especially with uh the 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 girl character who would be housing this mitochondria baby that's produced in the plot of this film that actually happens and there's a lot of very j-horror kind of trope of like the return of the repressed in terms of the family and those severed ties but there's not a lot 
going on in terms of either like body modification or like a hard horror, not even like really science fiction horror, because especially with the deaths that are going on in this film, because I didn't expect, I don't know how a mitochondria would kill somebody, but I didn't think it would be through setting them on fire. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so when, this when, is, this, this, of course, this movie is really just, it's just about a thing that happens to also be named a mitochondria. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so when Eve takes like her, her form or human form, she has pyrokinesis and she can just light people on fire, which I think leads to. Which really comes out of nowhere. It, it comes yeah. out of nowhere. And I think that it leads to probably the best sequence, which is at the very end of the movie when she lights the dude on fire and his arms are on fire. So she just lights his arms on fire and he just uh, he he pays it no mind. He's just like, whatever. I don't care. He doesn't. Me. He, he's just like, give me a hug. <laughs> As it's now my duty to reference this movie on every podcast I do from here on out, almost reminds me of the wonderful finale from that uh, uh, American masterpiece, The Rage Carry 2. Here we go. I knew it. I, I knew as I was watching this, when the pyrokinesis stuff started <laughs> up, I was like, here we go. You, you, knew, you knew that was exactly where my mind was. <laughs> yeah. I was like, he's going to mention The Rage. I know it. It's, it's a good movie. <laughs> I'm not even joking anymore. It's good. I think you stand alone on that one. Yeah, I saw. I've heard another person say it. Oh, two. Okay, three actually. <laughs> although that was the director. <laughs> We're all in agreement. This is another movie where the the lab that this takes place in. Like, what the hell kind of lab is this? It looks like some kind of dingy, dirty, poorly lit basement that does not look uh, really to be a, a conducive environment for lab work. At all, it, it looks like they're in some sort of warehouse doing these experiments, and it's supposed to be like a high tech laboratory. And the, the the hospital bothered me too. Like, what the hell kind of hospital is this? Where they have these like this like weird, sophisticated high tech security system where they can make these like steel doors drop down right the, yeah. in the in the hallways. And and not only that, but like. There's so many scenes in this movie that take place in the halls of this hospital. And I think it's just the same hall that they shoot over and over again. And it's there's like no lights on in the, in the hallway and there's nobody there. And it's like, what what kind of hospital is this? And then it got me thinking about how there's so many movies that take place in hospitals where whatever scene it, it is, there's like no one in the hospital there's like no one in the halls and i'm like what a lot of, a lot of movies set in hospitals that don't look like a hospital <laughs> yeah like they're no. all abandoned like that that's such a terrible trope i mean if you ever go to a hospital there's people everywhere all the time and that just that bothered me and in the scene when the janitor is walking down that that exact hallway dragging the wet mop behind him for some reason and the janitor walks by a door that has a bloody handprint on it on the glass and he doesn't notice it. And he just walks by. What was that handprint? Like, what, what was that bloody handprint all about? Just there from a previous surgery makes, makes no sense. I thought that they were going to come back to it and be <laughs> like, Oh, well it's the, like, the monster. It's Eve or there's whatever. so many unanswered questions in this movie. Like where are the handprints coming from? Why is this hospital 
uh, the hospital hallway a Catholic, look like like a Catholic school or something. <laughs> yeah. Like you, this doesn't look like a hospital. This looks like a place where you could stage a decent production of like Bear, a pop opera or something. I don't know who that's a reference for. That's a reference for five people. <laughs> Have fun with that, kids. <laughs> Overall, though, I did enjoy it. I, I I will say that this is a movie that like I've been meaning to see for ages. And I'm I'm glad that I'm seeing it now. I did enjoy it overall, but there's just not much to it. Uh, like you said, Chris, I, I just don't think it's very memorable. Yeah, I think it has elements that really speak to its favor. Like, for example, the, the music by, uh, I always pr- don't know how to pronounce his last name. It's uh, Joe Hisaishi, Hisaishi uh, who is like the known composer for both Ghibli and Kitano. And I don't know how... Yeah, I don't know how they're able to get him in for this film, but it works wonders for like the tone and mood that it tries to set. It's a good score, although seeing his name there, it kind of felt like when you see a bad movie and then it has a very famous composer. It's like uh, when it's like how like John Williams, you find out that John Williams composed the score for the Book Thief. Wait, really? Yeah, <laughs> the Book Thief. <laughs> oh, because see, I was thinking it's like uh. I can't believe I'm going to reference this movie, but it's like uh, the Cat in a Hat from 2003, which was shot by Emmanuel Lubetsky. <laughs> I always forget about that. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing? Who had dirt on you? <laughs> Guess we all got to get a paycheck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, uh, Chris, how familiar were you or are you with the, the Parasite Eve universe, like the, the lore behind this? Oh, the Parasite Eve uni- universe, the P-E-U? Yes, the P-E-U. Uh, not very. I knew about the novel, and I knew about the video game series. I actually didn't know there was a film, a live-action film, about specifically about the novel. And when I heard about it, uh, much like you did, Adam, I thought it was going to be like more based around the video game. Yeah, actually, the video game is a sequel. So, uh, is, the, okay. Yeah. So the video game, the first, uh, the first video game takes place after the events of the, the book and the movie. And apparently the, uh, uh, Hideaki Sena like signed off on the game and he, he, he liked it. I think that was just the first one though. So that there, they did make a sequel and I think they made a spinoff game as well called the third birthday i think it was yes yes yeah and that was like a psp game i i remember playing that and i remember really liking it and i did like the first two parasite eve games a lot too those those are those are classics but yeah they fit they fit well into like the survival horror boom at that time because they're kind of like really based off of the resident evil model much like this film itself is also like a bio horror yeah and it's uh they were Published by Square, Squaresoft, now Square Enix. They were very popular, very popular games uh, for the, the PlayStation 1, PS1 era games. I read that the book has a different ending than the movie. And so in the, in the movie, he, he catches on fire, he hugs Eve, and that's pretty much, that's pretty much it, right? Yeah, the, girl, the girl's okay. Yeah. In the book, she actually gives birth to the kid and the kid dies because Eve was wrong in thinking that like this, this child would be like sort of the perfect organism where 
she thinks that it can sort of change its genetic makeup at will and, and sort of change and adapt into being this like perfect organism. But it turns out because there's human male sperm involved, it doesn't work. And like the, when the baby's born, it just constantly changes gender over and over again. And then it dies. And then he, and then the guy like sacrifices himself and kills the baby or something. I didn't read the book. But. It's, it's a lot. It seems like a lot. Yeah, it's it seems and what what they don't really I don't know if they really convey this in the movie, but there's this there's like a sex scene involving like when she comes back when she first forms into like uh goes into her human form, she has sex with the guy and the reason that she's doing that is so that she can procure his his sperm and I guess somehow that impregnates the girl. Yeah. Thankfully we're spared whatever that would look like. (laughs) You've got to be thankful for the little things in life, I guess. Like not having to see whatever that would be Mm -hmm. because, you know, having watched this most recently, having watched this today, having watched this in a post nine, six, four Pinocchio world, I couldn't handle anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Yeah. It's, I think the book was probably a lot more graphic and, and intense than the movie was. The the movie's fairly tame, I would say. And and it wasn't scary at all. I was kind of hoping that it'd be kind of frightening, but I didn't really find like there weren't that many horror elements to it. And I didn't find any of it to be scary at all. In fact, looking back at these first four movies, I didn't really find any of them to be scary, which I don't know if that says something about me or the movies. That's the perpetual question, isn't it? I don't know. I, I would take you to task on 964 Pinocchio, whether or not that's scary. Cause mm-hmm. if I can't call that scary, I don't know what to call it. Yes. Yeah. I guess you're right on that. There was, I just, I just think I'm not, I don't know what, how to be scared a- anymore in the same way after watching 964 Pinocchio. <laughs> It, I it, feel like I feel like at some point in the last thirty minutes, we really just had all had a subconscious desire to talk about nine six four Pinocchio again, and we were just kind of working through it in our minds. Well, there was this one scene in in nine six four Pinocchio that I was just reminded of when when she I think it's after she starts like freaking out, and they they like made her mouth and eyes bigger. Yes, and that was that was legitimately creepy. Like that yes. that was a very kind of disturbing I'm, moment. I, I kind of want to talk about this that movie just a little bit more again. I was kind of playing like partially in my mind through that. That's why I was distracted. That's why I was just pulling a bunch of obscure theater references back there because half of my brain was just on 964 Pinocchio again and I was just going on autopilot for a while back there. <laughs> my God, that movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, I'd like uh... to apologize for anything I might have said in the last half hour. I don't remember what it was. It's pretty intense. Uh, what, as far as like intense Japanese movies, where for both of you, does this, where does 964 Pinocchio sort of stack up? Well, I've personally seen a lot, uh, up to including some of the guinea pig films and some of the Red Room films, which is just a torture gore porn for the sake of its own spectacle. And those were extremely uncomfortable and I never want to visit them again. But there's just something about 964 Pinocchio that 
because it's better than those films, I dislike it more. Like, it doesn't have the decency to be on their trash level. Yeah, it, it, it's, there are, it's... There are too many moments where it feels uncomfortably competent. I can see that, yeah. I actually found Tattoo of the Iron Man to be more disturbing than 964 Pinocchio, just on a just a base level, just more... Just, I don't know, for some reason that movie really got under my skin. There's a... And I've seen some of the guinea pig movies, too. The one that... Uh, I think it was the third one that... Charlie Sheen at, like called the FBI because he thought it was <laughs> he thought it was a snuff film. Yeah, that was either the second or third one where sure. I think it was the third yeah. one where it was just like the uh, it was like somebody it was in black and white I think and it was really messed up. Mm -hmm. But I guess all those guinea pig movies sort of are. Uh, I also wanted to mention this movie called The Untold Story, which was. It's about a, it's a, he's like a serial killer who murders people and chops them up and puts them into meat dumplings and sells them at a, at a shop. And people are unknowingly eating human meat. And that movie is really, really fucked up. So if you're looking for something fucked up to watch, Chris, check out the untold story. Well, I'm not normally, but I'll keep the <laughs> recommendation in mind. I mean, here in our... Uh, here in our post-964 Pinocchio world, we're always looking for uh, new ways to experience that, uh, yeah. experience more extraordinary horror. <laughs> is life just broken up to pre- and post-964 Pinocchio? Is that is that how we move forward? I think so. I think so, yeah. That's just where we are now. Like, it's just going to set us down this dark path where we're looking for something to get the taste of 964 Pinocchio out of our, out of our mouths, so we're trying to find something that will wash our minds of it so we're looking for something that's even worse even even more <laughs> depraved and i don't know it feels <laughs> feels like that never it feels like that turns into like the last scene of david cronenberg's crash it's yeah it's just this downward spiral we're on now Maybe all right the next one so out of these four let's 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 sort of pick our favorites of the four chris what is your what's your top one out of this first set uh out of the four we watched i think three of them have a lot to offer you and there's something to find in each of them but i was just really drawn to eco eco azarak wizard of darkness i just found something so salacious so weird and so effective about that film and it's very tight plot structure uh, and I'm just a sucker for kids messing with witchcraft and getting their comeuppance tenfold. I think that's a great plot that should be done more often. 100% agree. Ken, what's your favorite? Uh, I've also got to go with the uh, the uh, seminal first film in the EEAWDCU. <laughs> it's uh, for, much, uh, for much the same reason. It, it, it's tightly structured. Uh, there's a lot of <laughs> unexpected moments in it and uh the the chalkboard uh i'm actually right there with you that was that was my that's my pick too i think that that one's definitely it's funny i never even heard of the that movie or the series before but now i'm like slightly interested in in going into that universe see see what else is going on in the eco eco azarak universe <laughs> uh any final thoughts before we close it out this week I, I, do, I do have one thought uh, that wasn't brought up in 
the film we talked about the most, uh, 964 Pinocchio, instead of saying the end, it just says out. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh my God, I, mean, I forgot. You're, you're really giving me flashbacks to now specific images in that movie just by mentioning an image in that movie again. <laughs> I apologize, but I have never seen a film just... Out. Out. We're done. Uh, and I... I mean, I if I was done. sitting... If I was sitting in a theater watching 964 Pinocchio, you would not have to tell me to get out at the end. <laughs> I would be sprinting. <laughs> oh, man, that is that's amazing. I probably would have bailed at the mountain of vomit scene. Oh, oh. yeah, that would have. Man, vomit scenes. I, I can't handle vomit scenes. I, I despise vomit scenes in movies. Uh, so that that was not. Pleasant, a pleasant I didn't. Experience. I don't really mind them, but it turns out I have a very a lot of problems with ones that go on for eight minutes. <laughs> uh, I'm okay. I'm all right with them if they're fake. Like mm-hmm. so, if it's a, if it's like a fake vomit scene, I'm okay with it. But if it's an actor who's really vomiting, that's that's when I get really uh, not queasy or anything, but just like I don't like it. I do not enjoy it. I'm also normally okay with them. But when this actress takes it to the next level, and I'm not going to repeat what she does with the vomit, but we all know what it is. I'm out. Out. (laughs) Like the finale says. Thank you so much for listening. You can send us your questions and topics to podcastfilmpulse.net. If you have a minute, consider reviewing us on your podcast platform of choice. And remember to tune in to our Save by the 90s feed where we will have part two of this Halloween special. I might even throw it up on the main feed. I haven't decided yet. It's an extravaganza. For Ken Bakley and Chris Lucy Antonio, we'll see you next week.